Welcome to Heart of the Enneagram. I'm Chris Copeland. And I'm Sandra Smith. And we invite you to take a courageous and loving look at what is. Part of the reason of paying attention to the Enneagram for me is very much remember this is your tendency uh, and you don't have to go there there's freedom on the other side Hey, Sandra, it's good to be back with you again in season five. Chris, it is. And how different this season is as we're together on Zoom rather than in person. Goodness. That's right. Yep. Well, this season, Elder Wisdom uh, really delights my heart as we interview folks who are reflective on their life experiences and the wisdom gleaned from their living. Mm -hmm. You know, and as we began this interview, um, just want to invite all of our listeners and all of us to engage this material as we are present to one another and to what we're learning with a curious mind, an open heart, and a grounded presence. Well, we welcome Billy Vaughn as our guest to this podcast. And Reverend Billy Vaughn is a fourth generation Methodist pastor who joined the Memphis Theological Seminary faculty in 2012. Prior to that, he directed formation for ministry while on the staff at the Memphis School of Servant Leadership. Additionally, Billy has served as co-director of the Center for Faith and Imagination at Memphis Theological Seminary. He and his wife, Joni, chose to live in a wonderfully diverse Memphis neighborhood where he's one of the founders of the community gardens. Those two met and married as covenant members of an intentional Christian community named Patchwork Central, whose focus was on beloved community. Billy says, our lives, at least the ones to which we aspire these days, are focused on the intersection of faith, community, and justice. Billy understands his life as pilgrimage. He was introduced to the Enneagram over 20 years ago by friends at the Church of the Savior in Washington, D.C. Billy is retiring from Memphis Theological Seminary in July 2020 and trying to figure out how to live out his passion and call in the midst of challenging times. Congratulations on your retirement and welcome to Heart of the Enneagram, Billy. Thank you for being with us. Thank you for having me. Glad to be here. So Billy, um, again, welcome. And I want to hear a little bit about if you're willing to share kind of when you were first learning about the Enneagram 20 years ago, um, what were some of the first clues that you had that you uh, lead with type nine? How did you know that? Well, it was... <laughs> It's actually kind of a funny story. I was um, uh, reading, I had come into contact at the Church of the Savior with some stuff through Father Richard Rohr, uh, but then I was reading, I'd gotten a couple on the Enneagram, and I was reading all through these books and I'd taken a test and so forth, but I, you know, I didn't know. 
Um, and I'd get, I get, I went through one and I said to my wife, well, you know, there's a little bit of that in me. I could be that. And I got to five and I thought, yeah, you know, I'm kind of a listener observer. I, you know, that fits a bit, but there's other parts of this that don't sound much like me. And, uh, you know, I got to six. No, 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 no. Seven. No, definitely not seven. And no way I'm an eight. Although I kept saying to Joni, uh, you ought to read this. <laughs> And I'm lying in bed and I get to nine and I am on about the third page of what, I don't even remember the book. I was on the third page and I put the book down on my chest and it's like I broke out into a cold sweat. Mm. <laughs> and Joni was lying next to me and says, what is the matter with you? And I said, oh my God. It is like somebody knows the me. I don't even let me know. Oh. Uh, it was, and I can't honestly tell you, it wasn't one thing. It was the whole narrative of avoidance, of the way the peacemaking, the avoidance, the way that, you know, you, you um, kind of disappear sometimes in the midst of conflict, the things that go on in your mind. Uh, it, it was sort of those private things, narratives that I thought, oh my gosh, that that's that, that's my inner life, mm -hmm. and uh, it was embarrassing. I mean, mm -hmm. I was I thought, oh gosh, you know, well. So I, honestly, I can't tell you it was one thing. It was the narrative itself, uh, about three pages in, and it just felt too familiar. It it can feel spooky exposing, can't it? Yes, yeah. <laughs> I felt very naked. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, there's a vulnerability. I had a similar experience, Billy, that when I was reading for myself and thought, how in the world does this person know me this way? Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Thank you. Well, since discovering that you lead with type nine, uh, how has that uh, shaped you, impacted you, especially um, vocationally in your uh, formation ministry and on the staff at MTS? You know, I think in a variety of ways. Um, one, uh, it's called me out. Uh, it's called me to be more forthcoming about the things that I believe in and most convicted about uh, and and want to work for uh, not just you know sort of fitting with the program but saying look here are the things or priorities for me and you need to know that on the front end I mean when I went into MTS I was very hesitant I'd never aspired to be at a seminary on a seminary faculty it's not a place I could imagine myself I don't like working typically in systems with too many rules. And, uh, and I was concerned about that. And so actually the Enneagram really helped me on the front end say, here's what I believe in, in terms of Christian formation and, and the way that I'll approach it. And I don't believe in single leaders. I think we need to have two leaders co-leaders doing this together. I think that there needs to be, um, you know, an approach 
that is not so academic, but that really allows people to tell their stories in community. And, um, and the, I, the word I needs to be there a lot uh, in order for the, the formation that I'm, I believe in to take place. And I expected there to be pushback. And they said, come on, mm. it's your program. We need something. Oh, we're not getting there. Take it and run. So that was the first thing. And the second way that it really affected me is that um, it just had given me a rich sense of we come from different places in telling our sacred stories. We we have different approaches and there are different things that stir us and there are different ways that we move into that space. And, um, and I found myself more curious about each person's journey. Mm. Uh, and so that was really helpful here. I, this was, this was my vocational task and it fit really well with what the Enneagram was up to and, and spirituality uh, it, it isn't just in my book a bunch of beliefs. Spirituality is a life. Billy, I love that you said um, when you named your priorities and what you wanted, you got yeah. a yes. You yeah. got a yes. And that right there is part of the core of nine, thinking that if I name what I want, I'll be disconnected. <laughs> Remember? Yes. And so lo and behold, you named what you wanted and you got so connected mm, lovely it makes me uh wonder billy like how what helps you do that like be able to name your priorities because sometimes we hear nines can struggle to do that because of this fear of disconnection so what what helps you do that well I, i'm i've already told you i'm married to an eight <laughs> god bless us everyone <laughs> And Joni never has any trouble with her uh, her priorities and her um, you know her emotions and thoughts and uh, after years of marriage that's one thing it it really she drew me out she drew me, I, I realized if this is gonna this marriage is and this friendship if we're going to be lovers and friends if this is going to go well i'm going to have to be more forthcoming um as she is and uh and so i started taking risk in the relationship and truthfully this this is honestly that made all the difference she so welcomed it mm -hmm. she delighted and um and the richness that took place, number one, in our marriage because of that um, was a big part of it. Uh, the second thing is, frankly, um, I'm a preacher and I was serving in congregations, uh, urban ministry, and um, dealing with racial issues. I helped form an uh, interracial church. Uh, that was half African-American, half Euro-American. And in the midst of that, learning how to speak honestly and vulnerably became a, a, a critical part of the ministry. So leading up to the work at MTS, actually, the um, you know, I was being called out to be more uh, myself, more the person that... Um, 
you know, with convictions, but also with curiosity. I mean, that's the other thing. It, you know, the more that I did venture out and did take those risks, the more that it opened me to change. Your naming curiosity is certainly one of the gifts of the Enneagram if we explore it and see it that way. So I love that you said I got more curious about the people I was working with yeah. uh, because of the Enneagram's understanding of different perspectives. Billy, um, each of the types has these sort of habits and patterns, right? That it's, sometimes those are the things when we read the book and we think, oh crap, somebody knows my <laughs> habits and patterns, right? Um, so for you, like what, in terms of your own uh, life, as you think back and reflect back, what are some of those patterns that um, have consistently or did consistently trip you up or cause you to stumble? And, and how did you begin to work through some of those? Yeah, I think the main one was around conflict and tension. Mm -hmm. uh, when uh, I when I thought by speaking out, speaking up, it was going to cause conflict, or it was going to create tension in a relationship with someone I loved and respected, um, I would more often than not, I would go silent. Mm -hmm. I would. I didn't agree. I didn't go along with it. <laughs> but another person wouldn't know that. <laughs> I'd go silent and it was like, I think I was a little like Fagan in the, in the movie Oliver. I'm, I'm reviewing the situation and I think I'll have to think it out again, you know. Uh, and I'll, I'll go over this and over this until I figure out a way to get back into this conversation in a way that is going to make it go well, you know, mm -hmm. and um, and of course, happen that way. <laughs> uh, usually, the more that I buried, the more that over time would build up, and some people would tell me, especially looking back in those days, that then all of a sudden it would just burst out, mm -hmm. and it might it not always burst out in anger. Sometimes it would just burst out with this passion and almost a sermon where it should just be a dialogue, you know? And, um, and so I, I think uh, over time, I begin, again, began to see that's really not a healthy way to be in relationships. And, and it doesn't honor either what I bring to the table, nor does it honor the kind of relationship I want with the other. And um, and I got to get some skin in the game here. Mm. You're not you're not the wisdom from on high in the background. You know you are another human being. You know get in the game on the front end. Be in there. And uh, so that I think is the main pattern that was primary for me and has been. I mean it it not just was. Mm. It's still there. It's still there, and it's one that I have to remember. Part of the reason of, of paying attention to the Enneagram for me is very much remember this is your tendency. Uh, and 
you don't have to go there. There's freedom on the other side. Yeah, I love that. You don't have to go there, right? That's yeah. that's so good for all of us is to be able to observe that pattern and say, yep, don't have to go there. Yeah, I'm also struck, Billy, by the image of, of um, I think you said something like, the more I buried the conflict or the or the disagreement or the, you know, the more actual tension would actually occur. And so, oh, yeah. um, you know, often nines will say, I don't want to say what I want or what I really think because that will create tension. But in fact, it's the burying is what I hear you say, actually creating even more tension. Yeah, very much so. Yeah, thank you. Thanks for pointing that out, Chris. You know, it's, it, it is like, avoiding the conflict just creates more of it. Yeah. Oh. Um, Billy, if you had an hour to spend with your 25 year old self, what would you say to him? I think the first thing I would say to my 25 year old self is thank you. Uh, that 25 year old self uh, had made it, it was right around that time in my life, made a, a, some real that, about life being an adventure and living it and taking some risk. Uh, now, those kind of risks were leaving the parish, uh, the safety of salary and appointment and uh, reputation and all that, and joining uh, this, this sort of radical Christian community in Evansville, Indiana. and. Um, without any certain on the other end and um, and with uh, certainly some resistance in terms of the annual conference I was a part of. Um, that 25 year old said, it's, it's, this is where I belong. This is where I, I want to go and I believe in going. I believe I'm called to go and so I did it. Um, that 25 year old really took some risk uh, stood up to my main mentor, uh, an old religion professor that had my life in so many ways, and he really pushed back and tried to get me not to go. He he was saying, talking about Jeremiah, the lonely prophet, and so forth, and and I basically said back to him, uh, um, "Bullshit, <laughs> the lonely prophet, uh, you know, it it doesn't work for me." And I'm going to be a part of a community of prophets. And um, so uh, standing up to him and risking in that relationship and moving forward was a big time in my life. And I really appreciate that 25-year-old for those risks. But then I would say to that 25-year-old, <laughs> now, Billy, uh, be patient with yourself and be patient with others. This is going to be messy uh, because we're all human, and this radical Christian community is—it's uh, going to be quite a journey. Um, community sounds romantic, but we're human, and um, and there's—you're going to find resistance in yourself and in others to move into that place of real beloved community. It's not easy. And it's not easy in this culture and world. So be patient and have a sense of humor as you go. Uh, it's really okay. You don't have to be perfect. You don't have to 
do it right, and neither do the other folks you're going to be in community with. You mentioned Billy. Um, actually, Sandra mentioned in the in your uh, bio that you think of life as pilgrimage. And as I think about the 25 year old self and who you are now, uh, this has been a pilgrimage, right? Uh, journey. I'm I'm curious to hear um, how that's shown up for you, what that pilgrimage means for you in terms of your life? Hmm. Well, one thing it means, I just talked about that radical Christian community. I, I um, My wife, Joni, and I met there, and we were uh, uh, both thought we might be there in our lives. Uh, that community split apart at the seams, probably within a year or two, from the time that I arrived, she'd already been there. Uh, we really made a mess of it. And, um, and then, interestingly enough, fast forward all these years later, we did not move into Binghampton and into the things that we're doing now as a way of trying to form a radical Christian community. And yet, I think Joni and I would both say, we've found ourselves right in the midst of uh, organically that kind of community. Um, it's a place of amazing diversity. It's a place in, of real vulnerability, some real deep commitments to working for uh, both justice, but in the context of grace. Um, and so we started with the ideal of it and with the conviction of trying to get there. And over our lifetime together, uh, we found that it happens when you just keep opening yourself to it. Um, you know, open yourself to others, opening yourself to a divine that is always surprising and uh, just taking it one step at a time. Uh, so it's felt like a pilgrimage. The, the things that we were after we found without trying to make them happen, we've discovered that they can happen. They, they are, that, that God and that community is there waiting on us in so many ways. Here in my office on my desk is a card that reminds me, uh, of, it's exactly what you just said, Billy. It's by the Indian philosopher Tagore. Mm -hmm. And he wrote, everything comes to us that belongs to us if we have the capacity to receive it. St. John of the Cross introduced this idea of the dark night of the soul. And, uh, and I'm, I'm wondering um, if there's been something like that for you in your life and if you want, if you're willing to share about it and what you might've learned from that. After my father's death about four years ago, uh, and then with two or three other deaths, uh, a friend named Charlie Hopkins, who was a, a man with schizophrenia that walked into my office door 30 years ago and we became friends and he became part of our family and was here all the time. And 
uh, his death and a guy that I visited in federal prison for years that was a disability, Ricky, came out and moved into our neighborhood and then shortly after he died. And I think a series of those deaths and my own questioning about uh, had I really been the friend, the mm -hmm. colleague, the son? Um, and it also made me question the compromises along the way that I've made in my ministry. And, um, you know, I think that there's still a rawness to that. Is some of that question still there? But there have been times where that was such that it was, I found myself not being able to sleep. And I don't, very good sleeper, uh, but uh, not being able to sleep, journaling avidly, trying to work through it. Uh, and finally, just having to say to God in the midst of that, I, at times, I don't see or hear or feel you or and i don't know where to go with this i don't know at times I, there were times where i felt like i don't know quite how to live with myself mm -hmm. uh have i really loved others as i wanted to and felt called to if i pointed to your light in the midst of this world mm -hmm. and um you know, so the, yeah, I think those the, some of those key deaths, key moments of wondering, then looking back at my my ministry and life, um, you know, raised all that, and out of that came as it had come before a real sense of your mind. I never ask you to do it perfectly. I never expected you to be uh, the uh, to be me. I just expected you to be you. It's okay. Keep going. Keep living. Um, I, that's not said well. I mean, honestly, that doesn't express what I've heard. Most of what I've heard, I really don't know another word other than to say grace. Mm -hmm. uh, a real sense of God's grace came out of that. And um, come on, let's live. Let's 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 enter into this gift of life. Uh, you don't have to have it figured out. You don't have to figure me out. I've got you. Is any anything else along that line that you want to share or where you find the great resources that you draw from? from within? Um, silence and journaling. I'm, I'm much more of an introvert. And um, silence and journaling have been critical for me. Um, and my journaling is an active dialogue with God. It's not events. 
it is taking on that 25 year old actually was the one that taught me this too. <laughs> take God on protest, argue, <laughs> get in there, <laughs> get in there with God, not just other folks. Um, and the journaling has been a part of that and journaling with text parables. I'm a, I absolutely love the parables. Um, because they create such curiosity and and uh, you gotta you gotta go deep and uh, I love that and so that's been very helpful and then I would say community I have absolutely needed friends in the faith that I can be honest with and that will be honest with me uh, I started about 20 years ago with a with the covenant group. I always I said I'll never be without a covenant group again, and I've had some bad ones along the way that I've gotten out of, uh, where there was too much posturing. But mostly along the way, and the one I've been with for the last several years, are a group of guys who really are with each other and remember things. Uh, you know, a few months back, and we'll bring it up and say, wait a minute, how's this going? And, and, um, and ask the deeper questions about faith and life and uh, brokenness and joy, all those sort of things. So I've really needed sacred community and a lot of solitude hand in hand. That's, that's for me has been key to my life. I, I wonder, Billy, if, if the journaling was a, a, a way that supported your self-remembering. It sounds like it may have. Absolutely. Uh, that, that's, that's how I would put it. Um, and it was a guy named Brady Whitehead, a chap that told me to start journaling. Um, I think he recognized that I had trouble listening to my own feelings, really attending to them. And so when he talked to me about journaling, he said, you ought to try this way of journaling. Uh, write, just write, write your feelings, write what's stirring in there most deeply. And uh, it was like an awakening. Mm. And it was a wonderful awakening. And it was then one that I couldn't, uh, I, I haven't let go of since. You fell in love with awakening. I did. <laughs> I did. And the Enneagram, honestly, the Enneagram was like a confirmation of that. Mm. And it and it was saying to me, stay awake. Mm. This is a, this is part awake to yourself and to God. Mm -hmm. Yeah, in our in our book, uh, Heart of the Enneagram, we talk about the different types and their different expressions of heart and for the nine we call that the awakened heart yeah and I, hear, I hear you say that mm -hmm. my faith you know I, really is sort of the bedrock for me in my life and i realize that that i i despise i despise the jesus is my personal lord and savior and if you will just believe in Jesus, you know, then it, it becomes sort of this um, uh, free ticket to heavenly gates and so forth. I, I, 
for me, that's just the kind of American individualism with a religious overlay. On the other hand, Jesus really has been the key to my, my journey. Um, the Sermon on the Mount, the parables, uh, this ongoing dialogue with him, this uh, a deep conviction that death has been defeated, that death is not the ruler, uh, doesn't have to be the ruler of our lives, uh, that life can be. Um, such a deep sense of that has guided my life and still guides my life so that I keep going back. I, I, I really do go back to Jesus. But when I say that, I, I almost want to have this asterisk, you know. <laughs> but I don't mean what some of my evangelical brothers and sisters mean. I, I don't disrespect the fact that they do. It's just not the Jesus I meet. The Jesus I meet is this wonderfully inclusive, this Jesus that's all about the common good, about breaking down the barriers between us, about uh, creating a world uh, that is filled with grace. Now, Billy, um, one question comes to me as I'm struck by, um, you've talked about this mentor relationship that's been powerful for you, and you've talked more recently about the um, those in your life that you've been friends with and the, and the death. And, and it strikes me, the relationships and community, this is something you've talked about a lot as well, how important these relationships are for you. And the question that comes for me is, um, how have you been a mentor for yourself? How have you been a friend to yourself? I take the time. I, I really do take the time to be with myself. And I honor some of the things that I know that I need, uh, like solitude. And I, um, and there's a real sense in which I, when I do that, I, I delight. And I need to be outdoors and I need to exercise and I take that time. And, um, and if I get too busy, I guess there's a there's this me talking to me saying uh, you need to stop. You need to go uh, on a bike ride. You need to you and Joni need to go for a walk. Uh, you need to spend time uh, you know reading a novel rather than all this serious theology. You need to you know those are the sort of things that I I think I do to act as mentor to myself. Billy, just in this time with you, um, my witness of you is that you reach out when you need someone. Yeah. There's something in you that knows you are worthy of the support of another and you reach out. That and is I've been blessed with people to reach out to. I've been really yeah. blessed with, with some colleagues that are, uh, have just been wonderfully open to that. Mm -hmm. well, that. That really is a key piece for those who lead with nine mm -hmm. to reach out and know others want you to reach out. So thank you yeah. for naming that. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. Well, thanks, Billy, for uh, an amazing conversation and 
your vulnerability and willingness to share of your life and your wisdom and your pilgrimage with us and with all the folks who are listening. Oh, thank you. And thank you for what you're doing. I think it is so important. Thank you, Billy. So with heartfelt gratitude, I'm Sandra. And I'm Chris. And we invite you to continue to look courageously and lovingly at what is. We want to thank all who've made this podcast a reality, including Wake Forest University Program for Leadership and Character for their financial and institutional support. Sally Ann Morris, who created our theme music, and Logan Greenhall, who's been a great website guru for us. Also, thanks to Eric Merle for his quality editing expertise. Special thanks to the Narrative Enneagram and our mentors, Helen Palmer and Dr. David Daniels, its founders. And of course, a big thank you to all of our guests. For more information about this podcast and how to get a copy of our book, this serves as a companion for deepening personal and spiritual growth, visit heartoftheenneagram.com. And be sure to click the subscribe link so you don't miss an episode. In the days that lie ahead, may your mind be curious, your heart courageous, and your presence compassionate.